So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, or you can look it up on your device and follow along there. Uh, we're continuing in this series that we've been in this summer, uh, going through uh, the life of Paul. Uh, and of course, as we're first introduced to him, and as we've been looking at so far, his name is uh, Saul. And let me just kind of bring you up to speed to kind of where we're going to be looking today. Uh, Saul begins preaching the gospel. So after being a persecutor of Christians, he starts uh, preaching the gospel at opportunities, uh, the opportunities that uh, he has. But then there's several attempts on Saul's life uh, because there was something about the way he was preaching that was stirring up that kind of antagonism that there were many that wanted to kill him in response, and the leaders of the early church sent him to Tarsus, which is the town he was born in. So they basically remove him from the center of the, of the gospel action, the church action. Uh, but then the gospel goes to Antioch, which is outside of Jerusalem, outside of the, the Israel area. It goes up into the uh, region of Syria. Uh, into this town of Antioch, and Barnabas is sent there by the disciples. And the church is growing so rapidly, so much is happening in Antioch that Barnabas actually goes to Tarsus, <coughs> excuse me, and brings, uh, brings Saul back onto the stage, if you will, back into the center of the action. And in Acts chapter 11, 26, this is what we read when Barnabas found Saul. He brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. So uh, as soon as Paul gets back into the action, if you will, Luke records in Acts that they're there for a full year and that they're teaching large crowds of people. So the Spirit of God was moving, the hunger for the Word of God, and so Barnabas just knew there was nobody more equipped to bring people the knowledge of who God is than Saul, and so that's why he goes and finds him and brings him back to Antioch. Now we're going to pick up in Acts 13, starting in verse 2. Before I read that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for our opportunity to open it, uh, to hear it, uh, to read it. Uh, Father, may your spirit add a blessing uh, to the hearing of it. And Lord, may you speak to each and every one of us in exactly the ways that are needed in your name. Amen. So Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Now, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty lengthy passage. i got a couple of things that I want to point out uh, as, as we go through the passage before we get to the outline uh, of, of the main, th uh, main points of the message today. So one day as these men, now verse 1 mentions that there were some prophets that came up from Jerusalem. Uh, so they were giving, you know, kind of, uh, kind of leadership, guidance. They were giving support and encouragement. So that's who these men are. We're worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I have called them. Now, I want to pause here for a second and, and speak to something that, that I think may impact our, our lives with God more than we realize. We just read in Acts 11... Barnabas goes and gets Saul. Saul comes to Antioch, and it says they're there for a year 
teaching in front of large crowds of people. So things are going well. By all intents and purposes, everything's going well. Uh, people are coming to Christ. People are growing in their knowledge of God. I mean, there's just a lot of great things happening in the church in Antioch. But then it says, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I've called them. This right here might be the hardest times that we will find to be obedient to the leadership of Christ. Because when everything's going well, isn't that when we go, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Isn't that what we say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? You know, so like everything's going, there's large crowds of people, everything that we look at from the outside that says success, vibrancy, health, you know, fruits coming out of their labor. I mean, everything is, is going exactly the way you would want it to go. But the Holy Spirit says, I'm sending Paul, Saul and Barnabas somewhere else. That's usually for us when we would go, wait a minute. I mean, everything's going good, God. So, you know, because there may be some of you here that, that God is whispering in your, in your mind that maybe it's time for a job change or a career change, and you're like, ah, you know, everything's going so well, God. I'm, I'm, you know, are, are you sure that you're the one leading me? You know, maybe God is saying to some of you in the church, you've been in this ministry for a while, and everything's gone well, but I want, I want you to go over here because I've got something for you over here. And somebody's like, well, you know, but I've always done this. This is where I've always served, or I really enjoy it here, or I like doing this. Sometimes when things are going well, it's the hardest time to obey. Because isn't it true when things are going poorly, that's the, okay, yes, change, yes. You know, things aren't going great, you know, I'm kind of sta staggering along here. That's easy to say yes to a change. But it's harder when things are going really, really well. I just think it's something to be aware of. I think it's something to think about in your own spiritual life. Like if there's something going on in your life right now and everything's going really well, but yet you keep thinking the voice of the Lord's back there, maybe it's that time for a hard yes because it doesn't make sense from the outside. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them, being Saul and Barnabas, and sent them on their way. Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, I, I know, you, you hear it too, don't you? I mean, you know, a, a nice Genoa sliced thin with some toasted baguettes and a little bit of Havarti, uh, never mind, so, sorry. You know, if you're hungry, it's my fault. I'll, I'll own that. In the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar means little or small. So little Jesus, small Jesus. Uh, they had he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimos, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greece, so it's the same guy, the Bar-Jesus, interfered and urged the governor 
to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? So let me, let me just kind of speak to this real quick because, you know, we read that he's a sorcerer and the Bible is very clear that you don't dabble in sorcery, witchcraft, you know, any kind of spiritual, uh, spiritualist kind of things that, 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 that you know, you, you stay away from those things. And when the Bible says stay away from it, that's usually a good warning, right? Um, so when, Paul, when, when Saul says to him, you, you are full of every sort of evil and fraud. Do you think it's because he's a sorcerer? I don't think so. I think the reason he calls him that type of evil is because he was intentionally trying to block the governor from hearing about God. And why was he trying to block the governor from hearing about God? Because he had it made. It said he attached himself to the governor, so, so he had a meal ticket, if you will. He had a pass. He, he had it made. He had every probably advantage possible because it said he had attached himself to the governor. Uh, the, the way that Paul speaks out against this sorcerer, I think there is great warning to those who would intentionally block someone from hearing about the truth of God. That it doesn't matter, like necessarily, like what your sin is, like what your, uh, you know, what your problem areas are, because this guy was dabbling in kind of rich witchcraft kind of stuff. What what made it evil was he was blocking people from hearing God for his own benefit. And we are seeing continually people trying to block others from hearing about God, either because they don't trust the church or they don't believe in God or, they, or they're mad at God. There is a great warning there that if we ever intentionally block someone from hearing about God, the same could be said of us. Paul continues, watch now for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Now, think about that. You're, you're, in, a, you're in a conversation with this guy, and mist and darkness come over his eyes. I don't, e I don't even know that we can really get a mental picture of that, but uh, this is exactly what happened. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. One of the things that I, that, that I want to remind you of is that whenever we see examples of this in the book of Acts, to where something happens that's outside of the norm, outside of the explainable, something that just doesn't make sense to the logical, physical mind, God is using these events to open up people's minds to the revolution, uh, revelation of who he is. So for the governor, this, was a, th this spoke loudly 
to who God really was because Paul proclaims him to be evil, speaks about what's going to happen to him, then it happens, it gets people's attention. And, and we still can see and read about uh, missionaries that go into areas that don't have a knowledge of the God of the Bible and, and how things happen outside of the, the physical norm and it opens up their minds to the reality of who God is and it makes them much more receptive to the gospel. Now, let me just show you this map real quick, just so you kind of have a visual Here's Antioch where uh, Saul and Barnabas were for a year, Barnabas sometime before that. So they went down here to Seleucia and they sailed to the island of Cyprus. So they've made their way from the eastern side to the western side of the island. This is known as Paul's first missionary journey. There's four of them that are recorded in the book of Acts. And out of these missionary journeys is where a, a lot of churches were began, were started by the work uh, of Paul uh, and others with him. The letters that Paul writes that are a part of the New Testament are written to churches that he has helped or had a hand in starting over the course of those four missionary journeys. So this is just the very beginning of that first journey. Now, did you notice something a few verses ago? It was really quick. It was really subtle. And it would be easy to just kind of go, oh, okay. Somebody asked me um, a, a few weeks ago, like, when are you going to get to the part where Saul becomes Paul? I said, well, it's coming up in a few weeks. So in case you missed it, that's exactly the way Luke writes it. Saul also known as Paul, and then he moves on. Like, doesn't that seem a little bit understated? I mean, like, this is a significant thing here. I mean, because Saul was a persecutor of Christians, and, 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 and yet he becomes a leader in the early church. Like, shouldn't there be, like, a proclamation? Or this big, elaborate, you know, uh, you know, the voice of God comes to him and changes his name? That's not what happens. It's so quick and very much understated. But now, I will say this, because we can look at the biblical record and see that having your name changed after an encounter with God is not uncommon. It, it happens throughout uh, Scripture. And, and I, I want to show you just a couple of examples here, because the first one is Abraham to Abram to Abraham. In the Bible your name carried a meaning. And, and that name's meaning a lot of times was given by your parents and the name was kind of associated with the circumstances or the events that led to your birth. Uh, one figure in the uh, Old Testament who, who we see just a short glimpse of is named Jabez and the name Jabez means uh, pain. And, and that's exactly the way his, his mother viewed him coming into the world, was that it was great pain. So a lot of you could name your kids that. And remind them every time they get out of line that about why you named them the way you named them. But, but your name carried meaning. You didn't just pick out a name because you liked it, or it was a family name, or it was somebody that you revered or respected. The name carried a meaning. And so the name Abram meant exalted father. 
But then when Abraham, I mean, Abram starts talking, you know, having these conversations with God, God comes to Abram and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring to earth a chosen people that you will be the father of. Your, your descendants will outnumber the stars, and I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Father, of, so doesn't that make sense? The meaning of that name means he's, he's going to father a people. He's going to father a people. And then his wife had her name changed from Sarai to Sarah. Sarai means princess. So exalted father, princess. But then when her name is changed to Sarah, it means princess of the multitude. So you've got the father and the princess of the multitude that are married to each other. So both of their name changes are significant in terms of what it means and what it represents. Then we've got Jacob to Israel. The name Jacob means to follow or be behind. Now, a lot of times, the way we think about it, like we don't necessarily think as highly of followers as we do of leaders. And, and we see something, you know, that like somebody always kind of wants to be behind. They want to stay behind. They want to lag behind. Um, in, in case you didn't know this, we have two dogs. The older one and the bigger one is Dash. He is three years old, and his name has a meaning because he's dashed into four houses on our street. But then we have Chase. He is one year old, and he's 30 pounds. So there's a big size difference between them. And any time we're outside and Dash decides that he needs to start being a guard dog, you know, because he hears something, he'll start barking, and Chase, the, literal, the, the smaller one, will just start barking because his brother's barking. But then if Dash goes after something, Chase kind of lags behind like, uh, I'm back here if you need me. Yeah, just, 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 just let me know. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be back here. He is such a scaredy cat, he'd run from his shadow. But, but that's what the name Jacob means, to be behind or to follow. But yet God changes his name to Israel, which becomes the, you know, the name of the nation. And that name means triumphant with God. Now think about Old Testament history. You know, depending on how much of Old Testament history you know, every time the Hebrew people followed God, they were triumphant. Whenever they turned their back on him is when problems happened. So there's a rich meaning to that name Israel that when we walk with God, we are triumphant. And then in the New Testament, uh, Jesus, uh, after he calls Simon to be one of the disciples, he changes his name to Peter. The name Simon means listen. The word Peter means rock or stone. Now, this is the guy that denied Jesus the night Jesus was betrayed, so that doesn't seem like really strong. That doesn't seem like a rock or a stone. But through all of that journey, Peter becomes the rock of leadership of the early church starting in Acts chapter 2. Like the guy that denied Jesus becomes the, 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 the force of leadership in, in leading this early movement known as the way. So names have meaning. However, 
There is one key difference between Paul's name change and the others. From what we read in the biblical record now, Paul's wasn't initiated by God or by Christ. All of these examples before are led by God or Jesus. They, they come out of an encounter, a face-to-face -face encounter with God or Christ. But yet, all Luke says is Saul, otherwise known as Paul. So where did the name change come from? Because look, every time we see uh, early on, like Saul has this encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road. Jesus doesn't change his name during that encounter. Saul is, is led to Antioch because after his encounter with Jesus, he is blind. Uh, another man is led to him so that he will lay hands on Saul and pray for him. And, and, and Acts says that the scales like, look like scales came off of his eyes. His name wasn't changed then. That would have been a good opportunity. He goes to Tarsus for three years and is basically off, I mean, we think three years, is basically off the scene of the work of the church. Barnabas goes and gets him. That would have been a good time to change his name, right? But none of that happens. It doesn't happen until, the way Luke writes it, they leave for the first missionary journey. Now, if you're like me, when you come across certain things in the Bible, it's like, okay, so what's that about? What's that about? Like, why all of a sudden is it Saul, 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 Paul? You know, why does it happen that way? Why here? Why now? I want to give you three things that I think are going on here. And I, and I think they're significant for us in terms of how we think about our relationship with God and our calling to be servants and witnesses of God. So first one, the reason we go from Saul to Paul is that it helps Paul, it's going to help him connect to his audience. It's going to help him connect to his audience. So it says that they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and they sailed for the island of Cyprus. You see, Cyprus was controlled by Rome. And so on this first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are going to be entering Gentile regions. And remember, Gentile is non-Jew. Color, race, nationality, religion, whatever. So anything that was not a of Jewish descent was Gentile. So Paul is going into these Gentile regions commissioned with preaching the gospel to those with little to no knowledge of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, there were false religions all over the place. There were false gods all over the place. There were people that, 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 that had an openness to religion, but they didn't know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why the name change? Because Saul, according to one commentator, is a very Hebrew name. In actuality, Saul's name meant prayed for. 
So his parents probably named him that because of, of the way that they prayed for a child. And we don't know. Uh, we don't know if, if they conceived later in life or if they just, you know, prayed hard to have a son to carry on the family name. Whatever the case may be, Saul's name meant prayed for. And so if Saul is going to go into these Gentile regions that don't know who God is, but he uses a very Hebrew name, there's a chance he never gets a chance to share the gospel. Because if, if you're outside of Israel, if you're outside of the Jewish faith, the, the Jews didn't have a good reputation for sharing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with people that were not like them. There was a lot of pride. There was a lot of, um, of, of uh, relational pride, religious pride, and, 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 and there was not a good reputation about how they looked at people. I mean, look at how they hated the Samaritans. And so Saul did not want his name to be an automatic barrier to being able to share the gospel, so he changes his name to something that would blend or that would fit or that was common in just about any of the cultures of that region that he was going to go. Why does that matter? Because we have to recognize as followers of Christ that there are going to be things in our culture that will stand in the way of us being able to communicate the gospel if we are not aware of them. And some of you are not going to like this example. But if you're driving around wearing your Trump shirt with a Trump flag and a Trump sticker, you're going to have a hard time talking about Christ to some people in our communities. And which one's more important? Which one's more important? Being aware of those things that we get so enmeshed in, like sometimes when our politics and our faith get too tightly wound together, they have to stay separated. Like vote who you want to vote for, you know, uh, exercise your God-given gift of freedom and vote every opportunity that you have because it's a gift to be stewarded, but don't make that more important than your faith in Christ. Don't let somebody else's political leaning be a source for division. Let it be an opportunity to say, how do we find, as, as we're going to read in a little bit, find common ground so that we can have Christ-centered conversation. Uh, several years ago, some of you remember this, that we went through a kind of a refreshing of our logo. I don't mean like what we did um, not that long ago, I mean like several years ago, and one of the things that we did was we took uh, the Baptist out of our logo. And, and some people were, were, were very questioning of that, you know, rightfully so. But one of the thought processes behind that was with the amount of people that are moving into the Western Stanley, Southeast Cabarrus area, and when you have people moving into regions from other parts of the country and other types of backgrounds, you, you may not like this, but it is a reality. Baptist doesn't always carry the best reputation. We have shot ourselves in the foot more times than we can count. And one of the things that we said, and, and, and we carry that belief now, that if, if we believe we are here to equip people to become followers of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus is way more important than being a Baptist. 
And if that's potentially a barrier that would even keep people from coming into the parking lot or giving our service a try, then it's a step worth taking. We're still Baptist. We're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're a part of the Stanley Montgomery Baptist Association. We still contribute to uh, missionary endeavors supported by the Baptist Convention, but we're not here to make people Baptist. We're here to make people here, or we're here to hopefully see people connect with Jesus first and foremost, because sometimes those denominational names carry a lot. It's not just Baptist. If somebody had a Presbyterian background and didn't have a great memory of the Presbyterian church, they're probably not going to try one or Methodist or Episcopal or anything of that nature. We have to be aware of those things in our culture, in our society that can stand in the way of us being able to communicate the gospel. And Saul to Paul is a, and it may seem insignificant, but it's not. God may not lead you to change your name. But what is that one barrier in your life that may prevent you from being able to speak Jesus into somebody's life? God, make us aware of what they are. As a church and as individuals, what are those barriers? Now, the second reason I think, I, I think is really important on this name change from Saul to Paul. Everything Paul does centers on putting the focus and emphasis on Christ. So where Saul, that name meant prayed for, the name Paul means little or small. So when you look at this in the context, not just of what we read about Paul in Acts, but Paul's own words, you really start to get a clear picture of of what is motivating Paul in, in, in every journey that he takes and every opportunity that he has. Uh, listen to what he writes uh, in the book of Philippians chapter 3. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. And look, they were very proud of their history, their lineage, their bloodline, their tribe, following the law. I mean, they were so proud of these things. And even Paul's confessing that. I, I, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so jealous that I harshly, zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. That was pre-Christ motivations of Paul. It was all these things that we could say, I was this, I was that, I followed this, I did this, I was a part of this, I led this, I knew this. And he says, I thought all of those things were valuable. And don't we have the same tendency? Well, this is where I went to school, and this is who I work for, and this is the profession that I have, and this is the lineage that I have, or this is the background that I have. We put all of these stock in these things that really bolster ourselves in front of other people. And he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. He said, here's what I used to value. Now I know what the infinite value is. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. Counting it all garbage. So that, all, so that I could gain Christ. See, everything he's just said in this is about what I used to think mattered. Now it doesn't matter because of Christ. Look, if you're motivated you know, to succeed and you've got a drive and you're a go-get-it kind of person, that's great. But don't let those things become your identifying marks of who you are. Don't let those things become sources of pride. Don't let those things become those things that build up your ego and make you think you're more than you really are. What matters most is how much you know Christ. That's what matters most. So to change his name from a very Hebrew name to a name like Paul says, look, I am small compared to Christ. I am little compared to Christ. What I, what I used to think doesn't matter. What I used to know doesn't matter. What I used to do doesn't matter. What matters most is knowing Christ, gaining Christ. If there's something that you will put ahead of your relationship with Christ, you have not gained, you have lost. And that's what Paul gives us a great example behind why he changed his name. Here's the third one. Paul does whatever is needed so that many will hear about Christ. Paul does whatever is needed. Something as significant as changing the name. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And what Paul is essentially saying here is like, just because I go into a place where I don't have to follow the Jewish law doesn't mean I throw everything I know uh, out the window. You know, I, I, I live as they live, but I don't live as they live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's morals and ethics do not go out the window just because he's in a Gentile or godless area. He does find ways to blend in. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for what I, for what I want, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot when it comes to sharing Christ because we're quick to point out what is wrong with someone else versus finding common ground. You want to have conversations with families in your community? Just start talking about things that are going on to your kids. Who doesn't talk about their kids? 
Who doesn't want the best for their kids? Who doesn't want, you know, good opportunities and, and great opportunities for their kids? Find ways to find common ground, and those begin to, to have the fertile soil in place to talk about the gospel of Jesus. And it all started with changing a name. How easy would that be to miss? Oh, okay, he's not Saul anymore, he's Paul. In the time that we have left, I want to raise three questions. Because we see the, the change of Saul to Paul, and it's not just a name change, it's a, it's a heart change. It is a, an intent change. It's a value change. What change marks your life with Christ? What change marks your life with Christ? Because look, if you're serious about your relationship with Christ, there's going to be change. One of the things that is so dangerous to have happen is that we say we believe in God and we practice religion, but where can we see that something's changed in our life? If we keep the same thoughts, the same attitudes, the same actions, the same choices over and over and over again, and we can't see where something is different about us uh, given our life in Christ, then we might need to go back and go, how serious am I about Christ? Uh-oh. <laughs> that was my granddaughter. <laughs> if you can't see where God has changed your attitude, your perspective, your mindset, if he's changed your heart, if you can't measure some of those things or see some of those things, go back and ask, God, where have you changed me? Because we can't be serious about our relationship with Christ and not have change in our life. Number two, do you make more of Christ than you do of yourself? Do you make more of Christ than you do of yourself? Oh, man, you don't need me to tell you that we are in the age of look at me. So many people are just driven by look at me. I mean, you know, I'm going to do a selfie here. I'm going to do a selfie there. I'm going to do a picture of this. I'm going to do a picture of that. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go here. I got to go there. You know, and everything is about me, 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 me. And it's pervasive. And, and whether we're, we're picking up our phone and posting something on social media or having a conversation with somebody face-to-face, -face, that does still happen, doesn't it? Are we making more of Christ or are we making more of ourselves? Because Paul just took himself out of the equation. He said, the things I used to think were valuable are garbage compared to knowing Christ. So how are you able to make more of Christ than you are yourself? Give some thought before you hit send. Give some thought before you hit post. Give some thought to the conversations that you're going to have in your circles with coworkers or friends. I thought about this earlier. Guys can, 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 guys, can we have a conversation for a second? Just, just me and the men. Ladies, just think about whatever. 
guys, some of you have had pockets of conversation since you've been at church today. And have you talked more about that pathetic Panthers game yesterday, or have you said anything about Christ in those circles? And I'm, I'm talking to myself here because, guys, we, we, can, we can stand in circles and talk about nothing. I mean, we talk. Ladies, I know some of y'all are Panther fans too, so please, is this, don't, don't be offended. But, but guys, we, we can talk a lot and, and say nothing. Like, how are we in some of our circles, you know, talking about what is God doing? Here's where I need encouragement. Here's where I'm struggling. That is so vitally needed. And ladies, you need it too. I'm not just picking on the guys. We all have tendencies to say a lot and say nothing at the same time. What are you doing so that others may hear about Christ? Are you serving? Are you doing something ministry-related? Are you, are you putting yourself out there in ways that stand in the gap for the least of these? Have you walked across the street and helped a neighbor uh, that is struggling or having a hard time? Have you, ha have you put yourself in a position where Christ can use you in the places that you are? So not only what are, what are you having the opportunity to say about Christ, what are you doing so that others may hear about Christ. In, in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a mission uh, has every night of that week reserved for us to take a meal, a dinner, to the Concord Night Shelter of Salvation Army. For whatever reason, there's people that find themselves with no home, uh, needing the help and assistance of other people. And we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in, in so many of those situations. If you want to get some people together, three or four people, cook a meal, take a meal up there, let me know, reach out to me, email through the church office, I'll give you all the information. Sunday through Saturday, the 27th through the 2nd of August, what are you doing so that others may hear about Christ? What are you doing with the ball team? What are you doing in your neighborhood? What are you doing at the school? Because really what Paul shows us, even in something so trivial or, so, or seeming so insignificant as a name change, it's all about Christ. Us knowing him and others hearing about him so that others will know him. That's a pretty tall order, but that's what we are called to do and to be as his followers. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for Paul's examples. Even as something so, for some, would seem insignificant as a name change, because you mattered more than his name. You mattered more than his lineage. You mattered more than where he came from. You mattered more than his past. And it's the same for all of us. Father, that we would take seriously the call to be messengers of your grace and your love, of your forgiveness and your death of your resurrection and that great free gift of salvation father that we would be aware of our own barriers that we put in place as a church and as individuals 
and that we would be willing to remove them for the sake of your name, of your message, of your invitation to follow me. Father, may your spirit be working and speaking to those that are in this room. What's the barrier? What's the gap? What's standing in the way? What needs to be removed? Father, that we would all have the courage and the resolve to obey and trust that you know what you're doing. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.